Hello, friends. Welcome to another monthly edition of the podcast, What Would Jesus Say To? Uh, Each month, we're trying to just go into a topic, which is a real-world thing that we engage with as Christians in our walk with God, our walk with Jesus, also engaging with real things that are happening that that the Bible, the gospel, does have something to say to. Uh, It's not stuff we always get a load of time for on a Sunday morning. So here we are. Uh, we're at Martin's <laughs> dinner table. Uh, we have coffees. Uh, Martin and John are here. Before we get into this week's topic, um, if you heard last month's podcast, uh, you'll know that I promised you a bell. Uh, for any time that John specifically strays into stuff that I don't understand or uses words that I don't understand. So on behalf of us all, John, hang on, just going into my bag here, I bought us a bell. <laughs> Okay, the bell goes off. If anybody uses any words or concepts that I personally don't understand, okay? And when you hear the bell, you have to re-explain in words that I get. I think we can work with that. This month, what would Jesus say to the coronation? Uh, King Charles uh, will be crowned officially on the 6th of May, uh, just a couple of weeks or a few days away now. the whole issue of, of monarchy, of how much money is being spent on it, of uh, power and family circumstances. And these are the things that we want to dig into today. And what would Jesus say to, well, I guess what would Jesus say to King Charles himself as well, if we were to ever to get the two kings in a room together? Uh, let's start off, though. Uh, who wants to kick us off? W- what is actually going on here? What is happening with the coronation? Isn't Charles already king? What's happening, John? Well, amazing scenes will be taking place. Uh, The coronation takes place in Westminster Abbey. I think it's about 900 years old. It's uh, it's a repeat of a ceremony which has happened in this country for the length of that time and probably beyond. And the ceremony kind of focuses on the enthronement of the next monarch, in this this case, Charles III. Uh, He'll have to take a, a, a coronation oath He will be anointed with oil. He'll be blessed and consecrated. Uh, Consecrated. Do you want to hit the bell, Graham? There you go. Uh, (laughs) Go on, John. What does consecrated mean? So consecrated uh, means that idea of being specially set aside for a task. Uh, I guess is the simplest way of explaining it. And there there are different ingredients to the the ceremony. There'll be uh, an address by the Archbishop of Canterbury. And uh, there's all sorts of paraphernalia attached (laughs) there's all sorts of ceremonial bits and pieces attached to the coronation Uh, king charles be given an orb and a scepter which are very symbolic the orb is meant to represent the globe and on it there's a small cross which is meant to represent the idea that the the monarch is meant to see good godly rule established wherever he can or she can and the scepter is a symbol of temporal rule, uh, rule over countries and, and, and people. So that's kind of what's going on. Uh, it's going to cost, I just found out, a lot of money. Uh, like, yeah, and I'll pass you over to Martin for some of that. Yeah, go on, Martin, because when you even just do a Google on King Charles coronation, a ton of the newspaper articles that come up are first and foremost talking about how much it will cost, how much the Queen's cost, what it is in today's money. What have you got? Yeah, thanks, Graham. Um, so it's reckoned, <clears throat> according to Google, so it must be right. Um, the Queen's coronation cost in today's money about forty-six million. They reckon King Charles is 
going to cost somewhere around 100 million for the day, which um, you can see why people in a cost of living crisis are, um, you know, there's quite a few people a bit upset about that. You can understand that. Um, I, I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, I'm one of those people that I can't get desperately excited either way. Like, I wouldn't call myself hardline um, pro, pro or against. Um, so it's kind of doing this podcast has made me think, is there is there a better way to respond? And perhaps it's made me think, what are the ways I can pray for for it, um, for him, for his family, um, regardless of my kind of political views on it, just how do you pray for another human being, in this case, who is put into a, I think it's quite a difficult position, actually. Let's perhaps start there then, because we will come back to the money thing in a bit. I think it, that, that is a question, a thought at the forefront of people's minds as we think about uh, the royal family in general, I, th- I think. But start then with with prayer. If we Again, this is not a podcast on being pro or anti, but it is a podcast on how do we navigate these things well with disagreements in the church family as well. I'm, I'm guessing uh, people holding different views on the whole thing. Let's start with the issue of prayer then, Martin. You, you reflected on how do we pray well for our king? How do we pray well for the event of the coronation itself? Um, what are you praying? Uh, yeah, well, I, I'll start off with one. So um, one of the things that he's going to promise as he becomes king is that he's going to become... Um, the defender of the faith, and uh, he'll be he'll be handed a Bible, uh, the most precious thing this world affords. And um, so, in a sense, I, you want to pray for his soul. Um, he will have a great opportunity, as his mum did, every Christmas to address millions of people. And so, you kind of pray. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if he really does have, does come to that um, real saving knowledge and love for the Lord Jesus? which he then gets to share um, in that, that King's speech every year. So, yeah, at the most basic level, praying that he really does know and love the Lord. John, what else is positive here? What else can we uh, affirm and get behind if, if Jesus was in the room in this discussion? Again, what would he affirm about, about monarchy, about the ceremony of it, about King Charles himself? Another part of his coronation oath is that Charles will promise to cause law, justice and mercy uh, wherever he can as part of his role. And that seems to be a very laudable thing, uh, an ambition for a monarch anywhere. Uh, Charles himself said after the Queen died and he was announced as the new, the new king, he said, that, he said this, I pray for the guidance and help of Almighty God. Uh, and that's a, that is a, a big and challenging task to cause law, justice and mercy. It's a very godly aim. Uh, Micah 6.8 has that idea of wanting to, to do justice and mercy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, we read uh, these words. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So that seems like a, a really good prayer to pray for King Charles III. Let's stay in the Bible just for a moment. And the Bible, I think we touched on this in last month's podcast on the strikes and authorities and how we relate well to authorities. There's biblical basis to say, actually, King Charles, all monarchy, presidents, prime ministers, rulers, authorities are put in place seemingly by God himself. King Charles, is that true for him? Yeah, so we mentioned last time at Romans 13, um, which tells us that um, 
there's no authority except that which God has established. Um, and so we are duty bound to submit to all authorities. So I think that just checks us if perhaps particularly we're a bit anti and a bit kind of cynical. I think there's something there that says, um, no, no, look, you, you might not necessarily agree with a particular model of, of things, but given where we are, there still is that duty to submit and honour all those in authority. Given then that he is in this position and he does have power and authority, John, what kind of power and authority would we hope, expect uh, King Charles to exercise? Yeah, so a, a 21st century monarch in the UK is in a very odd position in some ways. They're the head of state. So in some ways they're meant to embody our national cultural values and aspirations in some ways. So we could pray for him in his role doing that. He's meant to represent us to other countries and other other heads of state around the world. And particularly in our system, with the honour system, there's a role there in which the monarchy recognises and celebrates the service and other person-centeredness of others too. So those are some of the particular functions, I guess, we could be praying for Charles in. There's also just what sort of power does he have? And I think in our current system, Charles doesn't have what's called hard power. He can't make things happen, but he does have soft power. He has access to the prime minister. He has access to other rulers and peoples and authority. So we could pray for him in, in the way he uses that. The other sort of power he has, I think, is positional power. At the moment, he's 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 not earned much authority yet. Uh, he's a new monarch. And so he doesn't have the same sort of power and authority that his mother did after decades of rule. So I think maybe we can pray for him over time that he starts to build wise, godly and other person-centred power too. Given that, though, there will be people, uh, perhaps people in our own church who would say, yeah, but we can do that as a country without a very, very expensive monarchy system. Uh, we can embody values. We can relate to other countries. And all those things you described, John, do we really need a king, uh, especially one that costs a lot of money? Again, this isn't a podcast about where to stand on that, uh, but it will be the held views of some. Take, for example, just Martin, you mentioned how much money has been spent on this at a time where some people are struggling to pay their fuel bills. Uh, the monarchy also perhaps for some represents a lot of systemic injustice. Uh, how do we navigate that as Christians together? Yeah, I think some, some of these things are really difficult. I think we've just got to keep coming back to, to praying. I think we've got to be praying for him, praying for ourselves. If if we're struggling with some of these things, we've got to pray for our own hearts, particularly where our hearts are tended, uh, the tendency of our hearts is to reject authority. I think pray for him. You know, it's easy to look on with a bit of envy. I think, you know, being born into a, a life of service is a bit of a life sentence. We might look at them and say, oh, what a great life. I'm, I'm not sure it is. Um, they probably need prayer. We've seen much about their family situation. Again, whatever you think of the monarchy, like pray for the family. I mean, just, just as a fellow human being, it's not much fun. Um, and pray for opportunity. So one of the things I, I was thinking about was your your street. You may have a street party. Well, what a great way, what an opportunity there is there presented for us to just get to know our neighbours better, rub shoulders, draw alongside people. So I think however we're feeling that, particularly if we're perhaps feeling a bit more negative about it, there are some positive things we can be praying about and doing to make the most of, of the opportunity that's there. 
I think the other thing to think about is you might be someone who just loves the monarchy. Uh, you follow all the stories and you're very supportive. It is just remembering that for many people, the monarchy represents centuries of systemic injustice. So in all your enthusiasm for the monarchy and your, your, your keenness for them, just be, be mindful of your brothers and sisters who might find the whole institution really difficult to accept. And maybe listen to their point of view uh, and be prepared to be somewhat discerning and sympathetic to those who, who really struggle with the whole idea of the thing. I absolutely love that. Love it or hate it. What an opportunity to do something social that mixes maybe church mates with non-church mates. What a golden ticket of an opportunity. Um, you mentioned there about uh, how we all have a slightly rebel heart towards authority, yet also we do yearn for there to be a, a good rule, a good authority, a good king. No prizes for guessing where we're going, I suppose. Uh, John, talk to us about how this king points towards the king. So there are elements to the coronation which point to the real function of a monarch. He is, or he or she is meant to be the servant in chief. Uh, Martin mentioned there that you know these people are born into kind of a lifetime of service, uh, and in some ways, there's something fitting about celebrating a monarch who is also a servant. And really, that's what we want, is someone who has all authority, but all humility in one package. And when we turn to Scripture, we read passages like uh, Daniel 7 or Revelation 4, and we see a little window into the throne room of Jesus himself. We see a lot of pomp and a lot of ceremony and a lot of praise and honour that is given to the one who actually, who through his death and resurrection and, and reign, will ensure a world that has all the things that we hope for in our world. A monarch who will ensure justice and fairness, who rules with mercy and grace. So I guess as we look at the coronation, it's perhaps worth thinking elsewhere or thinking forward to, to Jesus' coronation, where Jesus Jesus is the one who is consecrated. He is the one who is enthroned. He is the one with the orb and the scepter. And we can find our rest and confidence ultimately in him. Yeah, I think there's going to be a moment actually for, for Christians where where Charles enters the building, where I think as Christians got to say, look, one day Jesus is going to do that. He's going to, he's going to come in, and um, that's going to be great for us. But actually, for our friends and neighbours, that's that's not going to be great. And there's a real moment I think for us just to ponder and reflect, partly to yearn for our King Jesus, the King of Kings, to come, but also to think uh, when he does, what are we what are we going to do? Um, what are our loved ones going to do? And so I think I think it's kind of a something in that moment where he enters the building. Where as a Christian, you you can sort of your heart will beat faster with a sense of anticipation, but also a sense of dread for those that don't know him. And I think we can use that moment. Um, I think for ourselves too. All right, let's bring this thing into land. Then, uh, what would Jesus say to? And actually, I'm I kind of I'm less interested in what you'd say about the coronation as an event. I'm more interested in imagining a face to face between Jesus and Charles. What would Jesus say to King Charles? I think he might say, "You don't just need my guidance or my help, but you need my mercy." Okay. Well, whatever you end up doing on the coronation weekend, 
We hope that today's discussion has been helpful for you and you bear some of these things in mind. Uh, Perhaps you will spend it with friends and neighbours. Perhaps you will do something with family. But whatever it is you do on that day, uh, we pray that you would use it as a pointer uh, in your own hearts and minds and in the lives of others from this king to the king. Uh, Thanks for listening to What Would Jesus Say To? As ever, this is not the final word. This is just part of the discussion. If there's something we've missed or you want to disagree with or you want to hear talked about on this podcast in future months, you can email info at graceinthecommunity.com and we'll see you next time for What Would Jesus Say To?